morning again. If you would, take a Bible and open with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, you can find that on page 909 of the Pew Bible. And no, we're not starting over. But we will be looking at a particular theme stretching across the book of Acts. So we won't be in any one passage in particular, but lots of them. And we're going to look specifically at the theme of the Word of God. What do we learn about the written Word of God, Scripture, from the book of Acts? It's Reformation Sunday, over 500 Years ago this Wednesday, Martin Luther hung his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in Germany. Numerous traditions had evolved at the time. The authority of the Pope to remit sins, uh, the treasury of merit, purgatory, uh, indulgences. Luther looked at these traditions... And he read his Bible and found none of them squaring with God's Word and all of them undermining justification and Christian assurance. And so he called the church to repent where she had grossly erred. Immediately the church was thrust into a debate over authority. On the one side stood the Roman church. For Rome, Scripture, and the church were equal and interdependent authorities. Now, Rome never denied the Bible as authoritative. But Rome did deny the Bible was the sufficient and final authority for faith and life. One theologian appointed by Leo X, responded to Martin Luther like this, He who does not accept the doctrine of the Church of Rome and Pontiff of Rome as an infallible rule of faith, from which the Holy Scriptures too draw their strength and authority, is a heretic." On the other side stood Luther and the Reformers. And for them, Scripture wasn't just one authority alongside tradition, but Scripture was the sufficient and final authority for faith and life. Scripture stands supreme over its interpreters. Luther wrote, The saints could err in their writings, but the Scriptures cannot err. Therefore, he concluded, Scripture alone is the true Lord and Master over all writings and doctrines on earth. And it was from this controversy that one crucial crucial sola was birthed among five others. Sola Scriptura. It's Latin for Scripture alone. Matthew Barrett explains it like this. Because it is God's inspired Word, only Scripture is our inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for the church. Or, you sung it just a few minutes ago, 
Only Scripture leads and binds us, not traditions, creeds, or man, tells us of wrath yet loving kindness joined in God's redemption plan. Knowledge, wisdom without measure, comfort and delights unknown, perfect, all-surpassing treasure found in this, God's Word alone. Now, to be clear, especially for us Baptists who don't have a great reputation for valuing historic creeds and confessions, the Reformers weren't denying tradition as an authority. Uh, This wasn't me and my Bible type of thinking. This was not no creed but the Bible type of thinking. Where the Holy Spirit has, in fact, illumined the church's understanding of Scripture, we would do well to learn from that tradition. The point the Reformers were making is that tradition itself can't be made a separate and equal authority to Scripture. To receive Scripture on its own terms meant to uphold Scripture alone as the sufficient and final authority over all others. Tradition may be a ministerial authority, but to Scripture alone belongs magisterial authority. Now, sola scriptura sounds a bit archaic, uh, but what it means couldn't be more relevant. If not careful, some of our traditions can get elevated above Scripture. And like good little Pharisees, we add commands where Scripture is silent Or we avoid obedience where Scripture speaks. Jesus' rebuke is fitting and well-deserved in these instances. For the sake of your tradition, you make void the Word of God. Or perhaps there's such dependence, say, on the footnotes in your study Bible that functionally you treat them like Scripture too. For others... Reason becomes an independent authority set above Scripture. Rather than receiving God's revelation on its own terms, people formulate ideas about God that cannot be challenged or corrected by Scripture. They only let the Bible assert what they think it ought to assert by their own reasoning. Now, that's not to say we don't reason. True faith includes sound thinking, making logical judgments about the way things really are. It's only to say that reason's first duty is to receive what God has initiated in revealing Himself to us. To receive God's self-revelation rather than suppressing it or sitting in judgment over it. Others elevate experience above Scripture, even in some Christian Circles, experience becomes the authoritative grid by which they approach God's Word. As long as Scripture agrees with their experience, they accept its teaching. But as soon as Scripture contradicts their experience, they reinterpret Scripture or reject it altogether. Culture is another authority people elevate above Scripture. There are aspects of culture that Jesus and the apostles don't condemn but embrace to relate the gospel. But there are other ideas and values within culture that 
directly contradict Scripture, such as ideas about God and His nature and what He's like, about same-sex unions, about sexuality defining our humanity, uh, about self-preferences creating gender, about personal comfort trumping human dignity, about manhood as this kind of power and domination. Whether it's tradition, reason, experience, culture, and so on, what we're ultimately talking about here is a matter of authority. Who or what has the sufficient and final authority to tell us who God is and what He's like and who we are and how we ought to live? It's a matter of, is there a narrative, a story out there that defines and, and determines and governs and is, sits above all other stories in this world? According to Luke's testimony in Acts, the early church esteemed Scripture as the sufficient and final authority for faith and life. Now, Luke himself doesn't aim to develop a doctrine of Scripture in Acts, but if we accept Luke's testimony on its own terms, we can draw some pretty substantial conclusions about what Jesus and the apostles believed about Scripture. Luke tells us plainly that he bases his account on eyewitness testimony. He followed all things closely. He wrote them down in an orderly account to provide certainty concerning the things taught about Jesus and then in Acts about what Jesus did through the early church. So what did the apostles who were taught by Jesus, what did they believe about Scripture? If we just took Luke's testimony as truthful and honest reflection on what the early church believed, what do we find them believing about Scripture And how did that play out in the church? I have five observations. Number one, the apostles treat Scripture as the supreme authority for faith and life because God's inspiration stands behind every word in it. They treat Scripture as the supreme authority for faith and life because God's inspiration stands behind every word And that truth stands out especially when they quote God's written word from the Old Testament. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 1 there in verse 16. He says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. And then he quotes Psalm 69 And Psalm 109. Now, are these psalms David's words or the Holy Spirit's? Well, the answer is yes. God gave us His word through the instrumentality of men. He so superintended the human authors of Scripture that although what they wrote was genuinely their own, it was nevertheless the very Word of God, verbally inspired in every part, equally, to use our own statement of faith. 
To read the Psalms isn't to read words produced merely by a man. It's to read the very words of God. Therefore, Peter leads the church to obey them. Or look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 24 and 25. The church prays in verse 24, and they pray to the sovereign Lord of whom they assert two things. One, he made heaven and earth, verse 24. Two, in verse 25, you through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes Psalm 2. So the Sovereign Lord spoke. He spoke by the Holy Spirit and through the mouth of David. Again, God's written word is ultimately a product of God's Spirit. Let that amaze you. Let that amaze you. The Sovereign Lord of all, the one who made heaven and earth, He speaks for your sake in the written word. He didn't have to speak, but he does. We don't live in a closed universe where God is unknowable. God reveals himself to mankind with words. He has initiated this communication with us. If you want to hear your creator speak, open this book and read the words in it. Stephen's speech in Acts 7 is our next stop. Acts chapter 7, look at uh, verse 6. He says, he's uh, giving this long account of their history, and he says, And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. Years. That's straight from Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Stephen says, God spoke these words. Or look at uh, verses 48 in the same chapter to 51. He says, The Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, this is Isaiah 66, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So Stephen takes what God said in Isaiah 66, and then he rebukes them for not listening to the Holy Spirit. In other words, Isaiah's written words are the Spirit's words. And to ignore Scripture, then, is to ignore God Himself. Uh, More texts like these exist in Acts. Uh, The texts we've looked at so far quote from all three portions of the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And in each case, it's clear When the apostles quote scripture, they speak about those words as the very words of God inspired by His Spirit. 
The book of Acts, we could say, agrees with what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Because they're not merely the words of men, but the very words of God, they demand utmost attention and reverence. When scripture speaks, God himself speaks, and God possesses all authority. No pope or priest or pastor or church, council, or theologian has all authority. Even the Apostle Paul was tested by the Scriptures, was he not? The Bereans, he goes to the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, 11, and it says that they examined the Scriptures to see if the things Paul was saying were so. All must submit to the scrutiny of God's Word in Scripture. Because that Word carries God's authority... We must shift our allegiance always to what it says. And that's why Scripture demands repentance from us. Number two, Scripture is completely trustworthy because God Himself is trustworthy, always fulfilling His covenant words or promises. Scripture is completely trustworthy because God Himself is trustworthy, always fulfilling His covenant words or promises. Again, notice chapter 1, verse 16. The Scripture had to be fulfilled, he says. The Scriptures had or they they must be fulfilled regarding Judas' replacement. Why? Verse 20, for it is written. That's the ground. If God inspired... Words anticipating Judas's replacement, then it couldn't be otherwise. God said it, it is written, he will be faithful to see it through, and he does so in verses 24 to 26. Or if we come to, to chapter 2, verse 16, uh, where the Spirit has fallen at Pentecost, and Peter says, This is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, again, God speaking here, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Then we see in chapter 2, verse 32, God fulfills it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. God promised the Spirit in Joel. God then fulfills that promise in the risen Jesus. Again, chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. Acts 3. Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. That's an amazing statement. I know you acted in ignorance, but God thus fulfilled His Word that way. So even their ignorant and evil actions against Jesus were worked into the plan. Nothing would stop God from faithfully fulfilling what He said would happen to His Christ in Scripture. That He would suffer. 
A suffering that causes the blotting out of sins for all who receive Christ, according to verse 19. Uh, Look next at chapter 13, uh, verse 32. Paul says, We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus... As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy ones see corruption. Notice he explains what's written from three different places in Scripture. Psalm 2 Isaiah 55, Psalm 16. To read those words is to read God Himself promising something. And then He shows how God fulfilled those promises by raising Jesus from the dead. By resurrection, God establishes Jesus as the unstoppable King of Psalm 2. By resurrection, God showers the blessings of David on us in Jesus, fulfilling Isaiah 55. By resurrection, God overcomes death in Jesus and wins us joy in His presence, Psalm 16. So all these promise fulfillment examples solidify that God Himself is trustworthy. When when He promises to do something, His Word will never err or fail. Through His covenant Word, He proves Himself trustworthy in all that He speaks. Our words lack this kind of dependability. How often do we make promises, but then due to some unforeseen circumstance, we can't fulfill them? How often do people speak, but then due to some new piece of information, must correct what they said? That never happens with with God. If God errs in what He speaks and in what He plans, He is not God. Not only is the true God all wise, but He knows the end from the beginning. He possesses all authority to govern the universe and all power to ensure all things fulfill His Word accordingly. His words don't merely predict what history may hold. His words determine the way history will unfold. And that's why our words and the church's words must always be tested by God's Word. People err, God never errs, and His words are always trustworthy. The promise, fulfillment, dynamic, and acts helps us to see this about God Himself and the character of His covenant words. And this also gives us a firm foundation when we encounter apparent contradictions in Scripture or encounter skeptics seeking to undermine Scripture If God has proven Himself trustworthy, then we can can work from there seeking further understanding with the more challenging details. Number three, Scripture is redemptive in nature because it makes one wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Scripture is redemptive in nature because it makes one wise for salvation. Through Jesus Christ. Throughout Acts, God speaks to save sinners. 
We could say that of the whole Bible. God speaks to save sinners. The scriptures exist so that we know his saving presence and grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Philip's ministry is a great example of this. Look at chapter 8 of Acts. And notice how interchangeable the word of God is with the gospel of Christ. So here's the first first time this happens. Verse 4 of chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. What was he preaching? The word or the Christ? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Again in verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 14. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Uh, And then again, verse 25. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel. In other words, to preach the word is to unfold God's purposes in Jesus Christ from Scripture. And that's what we see the apostles doing throughout Acts. Christ is so central to Scripture's testimony that to leave Him out is to miss the point of Scripture altogether. And that's why many misunderstood the Scripture. They, they miss God's purpose in Christ. That's why the Ethiopian eunuch cannot understand Isaiah 53. Which happens next in chapter 8. Philip goes over, wait, what are you reading from From what passage of Scripture are you reading? And then he reads straight from Isaiah 53. And then what does Philip do in verse 28? Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this Scripture, he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Uh, As Peter puts it in chapter 10, verse 43, to Jesus all the prophets bear witness for this purpose that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Listen to that. To Jesus all the prophets bear witness for this purpose that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. God spoke to reveal the way of salvation in Christ and that way and the way out of our sins and the way out of our darkness, the way to know God truly and personally. Now, this distinguishes Scripture from what's been called general revelation. Okay? General revelation refers, uh, is, is also revelation. It is also revelation from God. General revelation refers to the things God reveals about Himself to, to all people generally, both in creation and in their conscience. Both creation and conscience scream that God exists and that He is powerful, Romans 1.20. That He is good, Acts 14.17. That He is knowable, Acts chapter uh, 20. 
Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. That he made a world where right and wrong exist, Romans 1.32. The problem is that in our sinfulness, we suppress that truth. We look at this revelation that God has given in the world, in our conscience, and we suppress the truth. I heard one pastor compare it to trying to wrestle a, a beach ball under the, under the water, trying to keep it down. We suppress the truth God reveals in creation and conscience. If we are to be saved, general revelation won't do it. All general revelation can do is condemn us. It makes us accountable before God and we are without excuse. God must reveal himself to us in a special and particular way. And he does this both in the living word, Jesus Christ, and in the written word, the scriptures that expound Jesus' person and work and lead us to salvation in him. Number four, scripture is ever prevailing in the face of numerous obstacles. It is ever prevailing in the face of numerous obstacles. The Lord once said this through Isaiah, that all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That has become evident in our study throughout the book of Acts. All kinds of obstacles have stood in in the way of God's word. Obstacles outside the church like crooked people, Stubborn unbelief, harmful threats, religious persecution, demonic powers, manipulative pretenders, bad misunderstandings, idolatrous worldviews, sophisticated philosophers. Also, obstacles have risen within the church, like ethnic prejudice and uh, people lying and complaints over folks being neglected and differences in strategy, false teachers. All these are obstacles similar to the ones we still face today. And yet, throughout Acts, we continue hearing this, this sweet refrain that many of those who had heard the word believed. Or the word of God continued to increase. Or those scattered went about preaching the word. The word of God increased and multiplied. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord continued to increase. And again and again throughout the book of Acts. Preachers will live and die. Regimes will rise and fall. Various philosophies will come and go, but God's word will remain forever. His word will prevail. Nothing else can can make such a boast. God's word will effect all that he has in fact promised. Therefore, based on where we've been, it's no surprise that the church in Acts gives themselves wholly to God's word in all they are and all that they seek to accomplish. And that leads me to one last observation. Scripture 
as God's word is how the risen Lord Jesus builds, rules, and sustains his church on earth. Scripture as God's word is how the risen Lord Jesus builds, rules, and sustains his church on earth. Uh, in Ezekiel 37, you, you might remember the scene where, where, God, where, where the prophet looks out and he sees a valley of dry bones. And this, this valley of skeletons is a picture of Israel in their deadness. Their deadness and their sin. And the Lord tells Ezekiel to go and you, you prophesy over these bones. Hear the word of the Lord. And when Ezekiel speaks the word of the Lord over the valley of dry bones, what happens? They, they begin to rattle and, and come together. And the word of God creates the people of God. That's what happens in the book of Acts as the word of God advances among people who are spiritually dead. You know, Peter preaches the word over Israel in Acts 2 and, and the Spirit awakens people to faith in Christ. And those who receive the word, it says, they get baptized and they become one in Christ's community. And later, Peter preaches the word of God to Cornelius and some other Gentiles. So not just within Israel itself, but, but this word is going out to all nations. And, and it says that, that they come alive, right? That they become God's people too. The Spirit rushes upon them when they hear the word. Jesus builds his church with this word. And then he rules the church. With his word. Listen to these examples. I'll give you just a smattering from, from Acts. This is Acts chapter 1 verse 16. The word leads Peter to, to reestablish the twelve. In chapter 2 verse 42. The church devotes themselves to the apostles teaching. And what are, we, what are the apostles doing throughout the book of Acts? Opening the word of God. And explaining it. For the people in light of the new covenant. In chapter 4, verse 28, the word of God guides their prayer for boldness. In chapter 4, verse 31, and, and dozens of others, the church spreads the word in evangelism. In chapter 6, verse 2, we, we encounter the situation with the, the, the widows being neglected, and, and the apostles emphasize the necessity to prioritize the word's teaching. In chapter 13, verse 47, God's word in Isaiah compels the mission of the church to the nations. This is remarkable because Paul witnessed the risen Christ. He had a personal encounter with the risen Christ, and yet he quotes Isaiah to justify his mission to the Gentiles. Which shows you how much uh, weight he gave to the biblical testimony. In chapter 15, verse 15, a quotation from Amos 9 gives the decisive verdict on the church's theology when it comes to what do we do with this whole circumcision, circumcision thing. So the word uh, 
determines theology. In chapter 20, verse 7, the church uh, stays awake all night to receive Paul's instruction in the word. In chapter 20, verse 26, Paul urges pastors to care for the church with steady admonishments in the word of grace. In chapter 23, verse 5, Paul applies Exodus 22 to explain why he shouldn't speak evil of a ruler of his people. I could go on, but the point is clear. Jesus rules his church on earth by God's word in Scripture. So everything we give ourselves to ought to be ruled by the word of God. Governed by Scripture. Everything we give ourselves to should be informed by God's truth. It's him that we live for. He saved us for Himself to know Him and to enjoy Him and to love His ways and to walk with Him in those ways. The only way we know those ways is if we open the book. But don't forget this in in the process. The word by which Jesus rules us is the same word by which He sustains us to the end. If you look at chapter 20, verse 32 of Acts, to what does Paul commend the church? Chapter 20, verse 32, to what does Paul commend the church? He says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. When you see the word able there, which is able to build you up, you need to think power. Okay? He's saying, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is powerful to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Word is powerful to give you the inheritance. That's the inheritance in glory with Jesus. The Word of grace will get us there. Is it in you? Do you cherish it? Let the points we've reviewed today renew your love for Scripture and your pursuit to know all God has revealed about Himself in Scripture. Meditate on Scripture day and night. Far be it from us to champion sola scriptura and then live like it doesn't matter. Far be it from us to to echo Scripture alone and to sing Scripture alone this morning and then never soak in the Bible all week and have it written on our hearts and compelling our lives. Here are the Creator's words to His creatures. Here are the Lord's words for His servants. Here are the King's decrees for His citizens. Here are the physician's prescription for the sick and dying. Here is the shepherd's call for the sheep. Here is truth when facing a pack of lies. Here is the rock when we're facing all kinds of uncertainty. 
Here is the Father's counsel to His beloved children. Here is your husband's love song to his bride. Won't you listen to him sing it over you? They are good words, beloved. Give yourself to the word of God, Redeemer. Man does not live by bread alone, but but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together.